from Kirkco Media. So what you gonna do about it? Welcome to a special edition of Politics Meet Me in the Middle. I'm Bill Curtis. Today, we're departing from our norm. We're upgrading quite a bit, actually. We've just heard from two renowned university presidents on how they plan to open up their schools this fall, dealing with the challenges that COVID-19 brings. But for this show, we've invited four very insightful university students from far and wide to help us understand their perspective on how our school should handle this challenge. Let's meet our panel. Hi, I'm Ethan Klausner. I'm currently a sophomore at The Ohio State University. My name is Mason Vanderford, and I am currently a grad student at Concordia University, but is switching over to Pacific University. Hi, my name is Caitlin Kochla. I'm a third-year student at Laurentian University, located in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, about five hours north of Toronto. Awesome. And Jamie. Hey, I'm a renowned university student. I'm a senior at Elon University in North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, welcome, guys. It's great that you're joining us, and thank you for coming. I'd like to start off by understanding how your last semester of school ended. How did you hear that the semester was going to abruptly end and you were on your way home? Let's start with Mason. So I started actually my grad program in January, and it was kind of a weird situation. In the middle of February, my university decided that they were done at the end of the semester. About mid-February, they gave us this notice that in April, and then coronavirus came out around mid-March, and we went from in-classroom teaching to Zoom classes and online teaching and doing a lot of those stuff. And, And Caitlin, how did you hear about it? Yeah, so we were actually the first university in Canada to close their doors. We found out that someone on our campus who works there actually had COVID-19. And so they closed about the next day. So the day before I was working at a coffee shop doing my homework like a normal student. And the next morning around noon, all of the students got an email that as of that moment, the doors were closed for good until further notice. Okay, and Jamie, you heard by email? Yeah, so I was studying abroad at the University of Sydney in Australia at the time. So most of what I heard at first was from fellow students that were at other abroad programs because they were in Europe, which is like a lot higher of a risk area. And so they were hearing more than I was. So for like two or three weeks, I didn't really hear much. And then at the end of March, they sent us an email saying that we either could come back or we didn't have to. And then like two or three days later, they said it's gotten serious enough that you should probably head to the United States. How do you guys feel about the idea of an upcoming fall semester? Do you want your colleges to open? Do you want to go to school? Are you ready for that? Or are you thinking gap year stuff? So for me, at least, I know a lot of my friends stayed in state and go to Cal State universities, and they just announced last week that they're going online for the fall. And I know a lot of my friends are saying we're taking a gap year or like at least a gap semester because they said like they can't do online. They almost failed a lot of their courses too. They they need to be in class. So I know a lot of my friends are just taking the semester off. And Caitlin, have you noticed any difference between how Canada schools are handling this kind of decision versus the U.S.? Or are we basically one confused group of people together? I think we're all handling it the best we possibly can. I know in Ontario, many of the larger schools have already announced that they're going online for the fall semester with the idea that labs or things that are smaller scale that you really cannot do online are going to try their best to be in person as much as possible, obviously with a lot of restrictions. I think Canada and the US are handling it fairly similar. I think the only difference is, is Canada took it a lot more seriously, a lot quicker. Okay. And Jamie, are you looking forward to attending classes this fall? 
maybe it's selfish of me to say, but like, I really do want to be back at school. And I know like most of my friends feel the same way, just because that's the environment that we've gotten used to learning in. And that's kind of where we want to spend our senior year. We don't want to have to do a senior year of college away from all of our friends and online. Okay. And uh, tell us some of the things that you would change in the environment of the school, other than spreading the kids out. How would you handle this? I think as a university, we're lucky just because our total amount of students is like 7,000 or 8,000. I don't have the exact number, but we don't have too many students and our maximum class size is 32. So I do think that we have an advantage in that our classes pretty much follow the state guidelines already. In terms of that, I don't think you would really need to change much. Our classrooms are big enough that we can spread students out far enough if that is a concern. But I think that for the semester, the one thing I would do is allow students to have the choice of whether or not they want to be there in person or online, because obviously there's still going to be students with you know compromised immune systems and also the students that don't want to come to school and are afraid. And I don't think it's fair for those students to have to take the semester off or even take the year off. So I think offering some sort of solution that allows students to either go in person or online. Okay. Mason, how about you? You're in charge now. How do you optimize this for the fall? For a university, it's it looks good on paper to give the choice to the students to either pick if they want to take the risk. But then at the same time, it's still going to be there. It's still going to be there. And for larger classes, they can always say to try and say spread them out or one of the other universities in Oregon, they are looking at opening up in the fall, but they're not there yet. But they would, one of the big things that they would have is that they need masks. Students have to wear masks as soon as they step onto campus, which I don't have a problem with. I think that's fine. And as someone who's lived in Asia before, masks are fine. Like it's not that bad, but there's going to be people that are going to be grumpy about wearing a mask because it messes up their makeup or their mustache or something like that. Are you guys taking online classes, Caitlin? Are you are you doing online now? I'm not. I found that online courses are rather difficult for me. I'm more of a tactile learner. I like to be in the moment and learn interactively. And I find because online courses, a lot of reading, I have lots of difficulty with it. So I've opted to not take a summer program and I'm going to try to do a reduced course load in the fall. And are your schools asking for a substantial tuition during the online part of your learning? Oh, absolutely. Ours, as of right now anyways, hasn't changed their tuition framework. They're keeping the same tuition as it would have been previously. So you're looking forward to getting back into class. It's It didn't work for you to go online. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to be back in the classroom. I think that's where I learn best. I know I've almost failed a number of online courses just because I have such difficulty with the way they're structured. Uh, so I honestly can't wait to be back in the classroom. So for the online courses that you have taken, even if you're not taking them anymore and didn't like them, were your professors kind of organized in the way they handled the online learning? Did they know what they were doing coming in or were they kind of learning along with you? One of my professors, he's sort of a younger guy, I think like mid-30s, and he has just done a really, really great job. Everything he's done with the online like format, it's just been very natural and felt like a real continuation of the classroom just with all of us sitting at home. So that was really great to see and be a part of. However, one of my other professors, she records all of her lectures and we don't actually have an in-person class or anything. And just the lectures, besides being really boring and unengaging, a lot of it is her microphone not working or her having really bad audio quality. Kind of makes it hard to concentrate, doesn't it? Even when you're sleeping, it makes it hard to concentrate. But... <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And she just doesn't always have like the interface correct with the PowerPoint displaying and her face displaying. So 
it creates a lot more distractions than if I was sitting in the lecture hall listening to her. Yeah. Mason, how about you? What did you find was the quality of the teaching online? So my, I'm kind of in a weird situation because I'm in school to become an edu- elementary school teacher. So it's been kind of tough trying to teach how to teach math with like little cubes and stuff online. So that's been the real struggle where we have to like cut paper each at our own house. So the professors are doing the best they can. You got to be flexible with it. And a majority of my professors have done really well. They've had the meetings. They've kind of given you what you need to bring and stuff like that. But it's a lot harder than, than anyone would have expected or should have gotten from this. And I was kind of in the same boat as Caitlin, where I, I need to be in a classroom, this online class. And I'm just, my mind is going all across the world at this point. So, Caitlin, let me lean on you for a minute, if you don't mind. Is coronavirus a concern for you, or do you think it's just us old people? It's a special thing, gift just for us. Oh, no, it's definitely still a concern for myself. I know for me, I have a fairly low immune system. I've been staying inside my house at all times. I really haven't left for the past two months. And I'm definitely concerned not just with it right now, but also how it's going to affect our future. Because I really think that this is going to change fundamentally the way we live our life now. Mason, I know you have an opinion about whether coronavirus is important to you or just me. Just like Kaylin, I have a compromised immune system too. And I'm really scared. Like I was in the same boat where I haven't really left unless it's to go to the market. And when it is, it's only at that like certain hour where people with immune deficiencies can go. It's really, really scary. And I'm scared where where everyone's going to kind of like, oh, it's like no one's got it. It, You can't see it on the surface. Let's all go out. And then this huge spike of cases is going to pop up in two to three months. And it's hard. We don't know what's going to happen next week even. And to try and think six months down the line, that's even scarier. And if I'm going to become a teacher next year where I have have a classroom where I need to figure out new laws in the classroom to make sure my kids are safe and their families are safe. You know, our studio's here in, in Malibu, and as we go out, especially on a weekend, there are tons of kids out without masks, and they're just gathering, and it's the same old thing, and they're having a good old time. So, Mason and Caitlin, what are you going to say to fellow students that don't feel like it applies to them? Grow up. <laughs> like, it's bigger than just you. Like, when your grandma gets sick, are you going to regret not wearing a mask? Like, when your grandma, when you have to see your grandma through the glass and say goodbye through glass, are you going to wish you wore a mask? The people that are, that are really against masks, are, they really get under my skin. The other thing, too, is people need to understand that they have a responsibility, not just to themselves, but to their entire community. Because while it may not affect you, you may be asymptomatic and you may carry it, and then you're going to pass it on to somebody else and not even realize, right? And while it may not be affecting you personally, at the end of the day, you have that responsibility to make sure that you're taking care of everyone around you and you're not getting other people sick. So I I say the same thing, like just do it, honestly, because you're saving so many lives that way. Well, we're going to take a very fast break. I'm going to go brush up on my beer pong and we'll be right back. Welcome to Life Done Better. Listen to the weekly episodes where supermodel and health coach Jill DeYoung talks to some of the world's most inspiring women in health and wellness. It's the place for all the unicorns who strive to create a life on their own terms. Join us to explore, discover, and create a life done better together. Listen and subscribe from Kurt Co. Media, media for your mind. We're back with Ethan, Mason, Caitlin, and Jamie. Now, last week, we had a couple of very distinguished university presidents on the show. They described the adjustments that they plan to make 
social distancing in classes, perhaps some classes online, less students in classes. They're a little up in the air about sports or whether there'll be any fans in the stands. Protect the faculty. Do you want your school to enforce the rules like wearing masks and social distancing? And if you do, is that just in classes or is that at home in your dorms as well? Absolutely. I think that professors and even groundskeepers and stuff like this should enforce the rules to everyone because if you're not taking the steps to make it better for you, for everyone, then you're going to harm people. And if you're going to be put into a situation, into a classroom where you're going to infect other people or then going to go home, because a lot of students still live at home, at least in or- in Portland, it's just going to spread even more. And if, if it's that one person that kind of screws it up for everyone else, then they need to have the book thrown at them. Yeah. Uh, Ethan, I-, I need you to describe your last semester housing situation so people can get an idea of what's going to go on in the dorms. Yeah. So like I said, there's 66,000 kids at our campus. As freshmen and sophomores were required to live on campus. And I am in the honors college at OSU. So I'm limited to three housing dorms. I got unlucky. My roommate dropped out a week before. So I just went random and I ended up in a 16 person suite in a tower that's older than my parents. Are your parents going to be happy that they that you use them as a comparison? It's a lot older than them. So okay. they're happy. And Caitlin, I know you're in a different situation, but you'll probably visit some people who live on campus and, you know, they're all going to be clumped together. How are you going to handle your own personal management of next fall? I'm definitely going to try to stay away from residents as much as possible. Uh, We have a fairly small campus. There's only about 10,000 students at my university, but the residences are small enough. And normally you have in some residences about four to six people in the small little like you have two people in one room, two in the other type thing. Uh, So I'm going to stay away for the most part and try to keep that distance and make sure that I'm not going there because there's already not enough room to begin with. And I couldn't imagine if we have visitors and all that added on. So, Jamie, I'm going to put you on the spot a little. Do you think your friends at school will really comply with new requirements and safety measures if the administration sets them, or or will they do it for the first week and then go back to normal? I think first week is even pretty optimistic. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I just think... Not to be defeatist, but it sounds like a nightmare for university staff and like even our campus police to be regulating things like that. Like they can't regulate underage drinking, even which is illegal right now. You know, how are they supposed to do wearing masks in your own home or in the dorms? Maybe that's not the best attitude, but I don't think it's feasible, feasibly possible. And I don't think that students are going to comply. And Mason... What are the activities at school that you think that they should make an extra effort to keep that wouldn't initially strike the eye as appropriate? I mean, like sports, should there be people in the stands? So sports is really interesting. And it's funny because Ethan went to OSU and I went to my undergrad at, at U of O, Go Ducks. So our, they're talking about what they're going to do with this feudly, hugely contested game. It's in like early September because the U of O is online classes all the way through, I think it's November now. And so they're not sure what they want to do when at the same time, that's like, again, another cesspool where it's just people are yelling and places where the mouth particles with with the COVID virus in them, if that spreads, that's just going to go rampant, especially at a stadium. And I love college football. I'm all about it. And I bet North Carolina is probably uh, more basketball, but sports is going to need to be regulated really hard. And if it's not, it's just going to explode with cases. So the lawn, student unions, libraries, gathering places. Okay, you guys are still in charge. What are you going to do to manage those as the new college administrators? Libraries would actually be kind of easy, in my opinion, 
because it's already kind of, you're already pretty secluded. And unless you get one of those group rooms, but you could lock those doors, maybe keep everybody away, like in their own little area. But at the same time, as soon as you, when you go down to the coffee shop and start chit chat with your friend, it's now spread. And so out of all those places, the library would be the easiest, but it's still a really tough hill to climb. So it sounds, guys, like this is insurmountable as far as managing. If you're expecting to manage the student body, I think yesterday you used the word futile in saying trying to get the student body to pay attention, at least for a long period of time. I think you didn't give me the whole week, so if they paid attention for the first three days, I guess I'm lucky. So should they open? Is this a risk that you can take to open up this fall and know that, well, maybe you can manage the way it looks optically, but can you really manage what's going on? I don't think they should personally. And I know a lot of universities in Ontario right now are going the direction of we're just going to stay online for the fall semester and see what the winter brings. I know a lot of students are really upset about that fact, right? I think the best thing to do is just keep it close for right now, do online for the fall semester and go from there. I don't think the risk is worth it. So Jamie, I know you want them to open, but should they open? So honestly, we're not really even closed. I just went to uh, Elon the other day because I had mail that I wanted to pick up. And our mail center is in the uh, student center there. And I was walking through and there's, you know, there's tons of students there and they're all hanging out like in close quarters in the booths. So (laughs) if you, should we open? I don't even know if we're closed. You know, students are still allowed to be on campus and the dining halls, one of our dining halls is still open to serve those students who weren't able to go home. And I think that while safety is really important, we are overlooking like a lot of students, they don't really have either a safe option at home or like a a viable option to go home. So I don't think that it's even fair for students that, that don't have good home lives or don't even have home lives to force them to not be able to go to school, which is why why Elon is staying open and allowing students to stay on campus. So yeah, I do think that we should be open in some form. And then that's really interesting that you bring that up about how people don't have, Stu, your classmates don't have the safe home safe. And a lot of my classmates, because we're not rich, that's why we're still in school trying to get a degree that can make us money. And and it's hard because we planned for a year. My program was a year. I set out enough money where I could live well. But then if I got to add six months to that, I don't know how I'm going to afford that. And that's kind of like what you were saying, where it's people had this plan and they got thrown a curveball. And I couldn't afford to live another six months doing this schooling in this point. So it sounds like neither opening nor staying closed is a good solution. So chances are, you know, we're going to see some of these, most of these universities open and many of them have already announced. So I have to ask you about one of the uncontrollable living situations in many of your universities. Do any of you have any experiences pledging or being part of fraternities or sororities? Yeah, so I'm still a pledge right now. I was pledging this past semester, and we only had about four weeks left in the pledge process before I was fully initiated. They said, if and when we go back to campus, we'll just have to finish up the pledge process then. Interesting. Anybody else involved with these other than dating? Yeah, so I'm I'm not in a uh, social fraternity, but I'm in a professional business fraternity at school. And when this was all happening, we were in our pledge process as well. I wasn't pledging, but when everything happened, I know that our president worked really hard to make sure that 
a lot of the key aspects of our pledge process did transfer online. And so we were able to finish and eventually initiate our pledges by completing the whole process online. Now, in terms of like the social aspects of social fraternities, that has a really, really big presence on our campus. 67% of the females on our campus are in sororities. And so just like the social aspect of it, I think is going to be pretty, pretty hard to control in terms of like the houses for the on-campus sorority houses and even the off-campus ones. But should they try to control it? Sure. I think, I mean, they try and control things now, don't they, with hazing and whatnot. I'm not saying that any of that happens, but like national, the national committees for these fraternities and sororities, they do have policies in place to control things already. I don't think it's asking too much for them to have other policies in place for these circumstances, but it's a different question whether the students are actually going to follow those policies. Caitlin, here's your chance. It's all you. Do you have a message for your school's administration or your president about your expectations of specifically how they should open this fall? Absolutely. So I obviously, I've been a part of the planning process a little bit, so I understand how really difficult this time is, not only for students, but for administration as well. And I understand that obviously many of these universities are in a budget crunch, and it's a really big problem to try to handle. But my hope is, is that university administration will look at this and try to find the most equitable compromise for the students, right? And I think that's the really big thing to remember is that we need to make sure that we are doing the best we can for our students. The students are the reason we have these universities in the first place. And we need to make sure that we're doing the best we can to make sure that every single student is taken care of during this time. And I I would imagine that there are a bunch of students who perhaps they entered their school having their folks be in a position to help them a lot with the tuition, but perhaps their folks have been laid off in this process, no longer have the job, and their status has changed going into next year. Do you think your schools will take that into account and reevaluate the scholarship structure? 100%. Thankfully, both my parents work in essential businesses. My mom works for a bank and my dad works for healthcare. But I know some other people that like they were like not essential and they did get laid off and that was like a main source of income for them. So they're definitely going to have to apply for like more scholarships now, apply for more financial aid that they didn't even think about before. I know right now we're even talking about our own university. We're seeing really big potential decreases in enrollment to the point that we're actually having to close programs right now. We had to lay off a number of professors and close already two programs because we're projecting about a 70% decrease in international student population and about a 40% decrease in domestic student population. Wow. And so it's really having an effect on those people who may have been in the position to go to university, but now that with everything going on, they're no longer able to, and they're no longer able to work during the summer, which is also affecting their ability to be able to pay for that tuition moving forward. So I'm really quite sad to see what's going to happen because I know we're going to see a lot of people not being able to finish their degrees and a lot of potential students who would have loved to have gone to university no longer having that opportunity because they simply can't afford it. Keeping in mind what you just said about understanding the financial pressure that must be landing on on these guys' shoulders. But if all of your next semester or some of it ends up online and if you can't go into the bleachers and you can't see the sports and there are no concerts and there are no student union gatherings and some of the clubs aren't there, is it okay for the school to charge you full tuition? I think it's difficult. I understand where they're coming from when they do charge full tuition because I know especially my university, we're pretty far in debt and we really need to pay that off. 
Otherwise, we are at risk of closing, right? And so I understand wanting to charge full price, but at the same time, when it comes to students, these students can't necessarily afford that tuition as is. And now they're getting a, a academic experience that may not be the same and kind of less education and less experiences and all of that. So I think it would be reasonable for the students to ask for a decrease in tuition. Interesting. Jamie, what do you think we should be doing when it comes to the financial stress that our colleges have, our stress of paying that often crazy tuition? How do we go about coming up with a compromise? I think when you look at like the total cost of university, only only about half of that, maybe a little bit more than half, is the tuition cost itself. Like most of the fees that I'm paying are like other things like either meal plans or housing or like maintenance fees, things like that. So I think it's perfectly reasonable to charge tuition the same as long as the other sort of the other aspects of that bill that you get each year is kind of forgiven because the university is still providing the service of education. And at the end of the day, we're still graduating with the same diploma that I would graduate if I was there in person. And I think that that does need to come with a cost. And I'm not here to argue about how expensive universities are, but I think it's reasonable for them to ask us for the same tuition. Okay. How do you feel about the idea of you going to school for four years at Ohio State and putting in the time, having the whole experience, but someone else is just taking online classes and they get the same diploma as you do? Is that okay? I don't really have an issue with online education having the same diploma as us. It's not like there aren't online universities already, and it's not like that in-person universities don't have online aspects. They're getting the same education, whether or not it's harder for us to concentrate online or feel like we're getting the same education. They are getting an education. They are getting taught by the same professors in a similar manner. I have no issue with them getting a diploma the same as me. Mason, let me ask you, how do you feel your federal and state government are handling this COVID-19 situation? In all honesty, it's apples and oranges. I don't think our federal government is doing any steps that are going to help the greater good of America. I'm going to say it. I think they're just digging. They're helping out. He's helping out his buddies to try and get money to his buddies. He's doing like mask stuff through his buddy's company who doesn't even make masks. And luckily on the state level, I really feel that my, my governor has done great. She saw this coming and she's like, we need to take this seriously. Let's start closing schools earlier. Let's, we need to just get everything going and prepare because like I said, nobody knows what's going to happen in a week or a month. And so she's kind of on keeping everybody up to date and kind of keeping it as open and trying to do anything she can to make sure people of Oregon are doing all right. Okay, Ethan, you're a poli-sci major. What aspect of our society do you and your friends look forward to taking over and fixing when you graduate? Definitely probably the social aspect. Obviously, the financial and economic ones will have to be solved. If done correctly, they'll stabilize and the economy will come back and everything will be fine. Definitely the social aspect. A lot of my friends, we want to like give everybody equal opportunity, equal playing field, because obviously some people are put on a higher level than others to begin with. And it's kind of hard for the people that were not given those opportunities to make a living, make a life and be the same as everyone else. We just want to give everyone the same opportunity, same playing field so that no one is given an unfair advantage. Well, that's valid. Mason, how about you? What, what are your plans to, to take over and change in our society? The, the biggest thing that I want Americans to see is nationalized healthcare. And Caitlin, you being from Canada, like it's great. When I was living abroad, I had a huge monkey lifted off my back. 
just because I didn't have to worry about if I broke my leg, was I going to pay an arm, literally an arm and a leg for it? And so I think that this should really open up some eyes for national health care to a lot of people where everyone should have the right to live. And I can only hope that that's going to come out of this. Caitlin? I love that you mentioned healthcare because I think that's a really important part. And that's one thing throughout all this. I'm very thankful I haven't had to worry about. I know in the United States, obviously, if you get sick, that's another thing you need to stress about is how am I going to afford to pay for healthcare, right? If you don't have insurance, that's a really big stressor right there. And I know that's one thing I'm thankful I don't have to worry about. If I get sick, I can go to the hospital and not have to worry about this giant bill at the end of it all. So I'm very thankful for that in Canada. I think the social aspect as well is something that I for sure want to focus on is making sure that we all have that opportunity, right? Because I especially see living in Northern Ontario, I obviously you probably don't know about the differences between Southern and Northern Ontario, but we are already fairly economically disadvantaged. And so I want to make sure that we have those fair opportunities for everyone. Well, that's good. Jamie? Yeah, I think I'm coming at it from a little bit different perspective. Like, I don't plan on changing anything in the federal government besides voting because that's not like the sector that I'm involved in. But, you know, going into work, I'll probably be working for a corporation. And I think that working for a company also has a lot of power because they can kind of overcome some of the shortcomings that our government does have. So I'd like to look into the benefits of financial and other gains that we can make from a company's perspective. Like, for example, my dad works for Apple and I used to work for Apple before I went abroad. And right now, in terms of education, which is the whole theme of this, they've been having their employees release educational videos on how to like actually teach from home and how to educate from home and different workshops and different ideas that teachers can use for their students. And so something like that. And obviously, hopefully this coronavirus isn't still going on by the time I'm like in a position of power at a company. But I think it's always about looking for the good you can do when you have some sort of position of leverage or advantage or privilege. I'm going to ask each of you to take out your crystal ball and not ask you to look too far into the future. Christmas Eve, tell me about how you feel this whole thing is going to look come Christmas Eve this year. I definitely think we're going to see another major spike within the fall, probably around late September, early October. Definitely see a large spike after midsummer. That's starting to shorten up. But then once schools and everything starts to open shoot straight back up for at least a month, month and a half before it starts to go back down again. You see getting through your whole school semester? Depending on how big the spike is, maybe. If it's not as big as I predict, which I hope it's not, I would hopefully make it through the semester. But if it's as big as I think it will be, I don't think we will. Okay. Mason, how's your crystal ball looking? Not very good, to be honest. Pretty murky in there. It's kind of the unknown. And I can only hope that I'll be finished by with my schooling by then and get my licensing and all that good stuff. But it's kind of hard to student teach online. And that's a big part of the becoming a teacher license in Oregon. And if I can't do that, then who knows? I do agree with Ethan that there will be a second wave. Could be either September, October, or even all the way to December. But I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a lot of hanging out with your close family, very close family, and buying a lot of gifts on Amazon come Christmas time, I'd say. Okay, Jamie. I'm optimistic. I think we are going to be able to get at least the schools that open up for in-person learning. I think that we're going to be able to get through it. I'm not a qualified medical professional or anything like that. So I, I can't speak to anything about like another spike or anything like that. But if it does happen, I think we'll handle it then. But I do think we'll be able to get through the semester. And Caitlin, maybe more specifically, how do you see 
that time through your crystal ball, looking and feeling for your family and friends? I definitely still see hard times ahead. Even if we don't contract COVID-19, obviously this is a big financial restraint on a lot of people. It's taking a big toll on mental health of a lot of people. And overall, it's a really scary time. And so I see a lot of difficult times ahead. But I also see this as an opportunity for you to really reach out to your family, reach out to your friends and keep those bonds close, even if you're not seeing each other physically, making sure you're keeping in touch, you're checking in with people virtually to make sure people are being okay, are okay. And I think that's the big thing I do see is families hopefully coming closer together. And if you don't have a good family life, then hopefully friendships are staying close and that everyone is continuing to check in with everyone during these times. Mason, why don't you help us out? Anything you want to say to anybody out there who's listening? I want to shout out to both my parents and also shout out to my podcast, Plum Force Podcast. Well done. How about you, Caitlin? I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone at Laurentian University and who's living in Sudbury, Ontario right now. I know it's a really hard time, but we're going to get through this together. And I can't wait to hopefully see all of you in person eventually. Ethan. I'd like to shout out Lincoln Tower, Floor 16. I miss all of you guys. Miss the FaceTimes. I miss us. Can't wait to see you guys again. I just like shout out my parents for like all the stuff they do for me. Cool. And Jamie. Uh, I'll shout out Elon University. Great university. We're doing a great job right now. And I also have a podcast as well, Dollar Slice Night Podcast. So you can check that out. Wow, this is great. I've got some competitors here. One thing you guys have shown us clearly today, perhaps here as we meet in the middle, one of the things that we should do when we open our schools this fall is ask you how we should do it. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, Jamie Tarantiles from Elon University in North Carolina, Caitlin Cotilla from Laurentian University in Northern Ontario, Canada, Ethan Klausner, going to be a sophomore at Ohio State University, and Mason Vanderford from Concordia Pacific University. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends and please leave a comment. And yes, we'd of course appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This episode was produced and edited by A.J. Mosley and Mike Thomas, and it was audio mastered by Michael Kennedy. The theme music for Politics Meet Me in the Middle was composed and performed by Celeste and Eric Dick. Thanks for listening. It will be okay. From Kirkco Media. Media for your mind.